tell you right now, he set you up. Jason set you up today. He's got you singing, I surrender all. And we're going to Ephesians 5, to the end of the chapter. We're going to talk about family, our roles as husbands, wives, parents, and employees, employers. Oh, he set you up. You're out there singing your heart out, I surrender all. I give it all to you, Jesus. Jesus said, well, here's what I want. My wedding ceremonies are very short. I go to this passage, and normally wedding ceremonies and, and weddings are a mixed multitude, right? You got your Christians, and then you have all the rest of the relatives that aren't Christians, so half the people are saying, yeah, pastor, good. And the rest of the women on the other side, their hackles are up, and like, ah. That's what the word does. The word is a sword. It divides. So we're going to go there today because... I want us as a flock to be able to stand and to let our light shine no matter what the culture is. That's our opportunity in our time, in our place, in times like these. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you give me clarity and that you fill me with the Holy Spirit as we look at the Word today, as we dig into the Word. Lord, I pray that every one of us might be Spirit-filled, that we're looking to be obedient, Lord. Where you shine your light, where the Holy Spirit wants to do surgery, we say, yes, Lord. Change my heart to be like you. The psalmist said that you spoke to his heart and you said, seek my face. And I said, Lord, your face I will seek. Lord, we want to be true worshipers. We want to be lights that shine in our culture. That those that are in darkness without hope and discouraged will be drawn to the light. And Lord, you are the light. Lord, I pray that we, will, by your grace, would be a true reflection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In times like these when it seems things are upside down, the Bible says, woe, woe, when men call good evil and they call evil good. When the Word of God is not the standard, then what is the standard? Well, it becomes the time of judges where every man does what's right in his own eyes. We've gone one past that in our culture. We've decided that we will have a new standard of righteousness, and we'll decide what it is, and we will legislate it. We can be discouraged by that. We can be angry. We say, hold it. Listen, God's the one that gave marriage. He is. He created Man and woman, he brought the first couple together. He created marriage. He defined marriage. But the Bible says we, when you have a people that goes away from God, we still have to let our light shine. This is our opportunity, and we've already mentioned this, but Christians aren't the only ones that are confused today. No, the lost people are very confused too. And it's during this time of confusion that we ought to let our light shine. That's the title of the sermon today. Let your light shine. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not you, 
but your father because you're living a supernatural life and they know that it can't be just attributed to your, your character or to your morals. There's something supernatural going on and so they have to say, how can you have this much love? How can there be this order in your home? How can your children respect you the way they do when all of culture, we just expect children when they become teenagers to reject us and live in rebellion until they need more money. That's part of the, the times we live in. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own self, haters of God. Children will be disobedient to parents. They're going to be rebellious. I want you to know, this is, it's not like this in every culture around the world. There are cultures where children are still respective of adults and government and authority and their parents. It's not a natural thing that we should expect our children become rebellious. Do they need to express themselves? Yeah, sure they do. And I hope as a parent you have the wisdom as they grow to give them more freedom I'd rather find out where my sons are, my daughter is, at 13 than I would at 33, right? You want to play control freak, you're, you're, you're going to pay the price for that. You want to build into their life, and as they grow, they get stronger, they set their roots down to the Word of God because they're following your example, because that's the primary goal of your life, to be pleasing to God, that they get more freedom. There's another way of parenting, that's just stick your head in the sand and say to yourself, well, I did some bad things too. I don't want to do what my kids are doing. Oh, that'll turn out great. But God has a way for, for his children to operate in their homes. He has roles to, for us to fulfill. And it's not going along with culture. And there are so many Christians today in their homes that wonder, what's wrong? We were so in love. We got married, and look what she's doing now. Well, he's, he's not leading the way I like him to lead. And we come back to the Word of God. A couple weeks ago, we preached from Matthew chapter 7. That's the invitation, the last part of the great Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the parallel passage there in Luke. We said, storms are coming. Storms come. Storms reveal foundations. We've had some storms come to our families in our church, many families. And the storm has brought destruction. Now the wise thing to do would not be to go on the same way as you did before the storm. But to take a look and say, we've got to make some changes here. There's some places I need to dig down in my life and make sure that all of my life is founded upon God's word and upon Jesus Christ. Paul, when he was talking about building the church, said there's no other foundation but Jesus Christ. That's the same thing for your home. The home is the primary building block for the church and for culture. When that is destroyed, there's no strength left. So if a storm has come through, and destroyed your family, don't blame the other spouse that's not there anymore. That's not going to help. You go to counseling, do they talk about everything? You're, if they did, they're just talking about the other person. That's not helping you. You have a counselor called the Holy Spirit. If you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a counselor. 
And really, there's no better counselor than he is if you're willing to listen. That's why most of my counseling is short. Now, I realize there's some people that have been very damaged in life, and they need more care. But the healing agent is not the counselor. And you're not going to get healed by looking inside. The healing comes from obedience to the word of God. But the Bible says, and I'm giving this instruction before we go into this teaching today. The things of the spirit of God are foolishness to those that don't know God. So this is instruction to Christians in Christian homes. And I know immediately when I begin to have an attitude in my marriage about my wife, that it's not her fault, right? Is she perfect? Pretty close. She gets the other too, so. But my attitude is not governed by her actions. And when my attitude starts to get bad, you know the Holy Spirit's right there saying, what, what are you thinking? My responsibility? To love my wife as much as Christ loved the church and died and gave himself for it. Wow. And the Holy Spirit just whispers very, very softly, so you're doing that now? Oh, it cuts deep, doesn't it? I don't need to call up the counselors in the church and say, I need counseling. I got a bad attitude. No, no, I have a counselor called the Holy Spirit. If you're not willing to listen to him, there's nothing the counselors can do for you because that's all they're going to bring here in our church, is the Word of God. They're going to bring you the Word of God. Now, to some of you, that's brand new because maybe it's by the example of your parents. You had unsaved parents. You had half-baked Christian parents, and they didn't have biblical goals, and so you're coming. This is like new stuff. What? What? But this is God's Word, and it's not God's Word for another culture in bygone days. It's for now. And we're going to look at two passages so you don't think Paul's the only one with a bad attitude, okay? Paul gets a bad rap from people. Oh, Paul, he didn't like women. No, no. Paul was just speaking from the Holy Spirit what God said instruction is, if you want a home that's going to glorify God. There's a little book written on marriage. It doesn't take you very long to read, but it is so packful, you'll have to read it a couple times. And it's called This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. You should get it. It is so convicting and so much the word of God. And you don't need volumes. You just need that. All he's doing is taking the word of God and saying, here's what God. Marriage is from God. And marriage is not for you. So this instruction isn't so you can just get along in your home today. God intended the home to be a display of his glory. That every single home becomes a ministry center. That's the primary purpose. It's not so you can get along better, and then you can have the same goals financially so you can have a successful retirement. God doesn't care about that. Yeah, I shouldn't say it. God cares about those things, but the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. They'll be added unto you. Food, shelter, clothing. We can get so focused on what we don't even know is going to happen. How do you know you're going to live tomorrow? You know, the biggest problem in marriages is fighting over what? Money and security. Yeah. So the answer is not making more money. The answer is what? The heart. 
We fear, therefore we get feisty. We do. Oh, she's going to spend all the money. He's just spending money like water. We're bleeding money. Who cares about that? God is able. See, that's the problem in our nation. We think the problem is a financial problem. We need better businesses. The Republicans think you need less taxes. Blessing and promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south or the north. It comes from God. God's the one that blesses. So when a nation will say, you know what, we've been in sin and they will repent and God's people in the nation will repent, he can bring prosperity again. But you can do all the right things financially and the Lord knows how to bring it a storm and wipe it out. Just like that hailstorm we got the other day. All of our cars were outside. We had no warning. Here came this little tiny cloud, and it was just right here in the Tornado Alley. I don't know if you know, but the church is right in Tornado Alley. It's been a couple times we've gone through that, and here it comes, and there's nothing you can do about it. But the Bible says when a nation is holy, when a people is holy, when they're a reflection of God's glory, there's strength and there's all the provision that we will need. Now, you can take your marriage, you say, well, this is my marriage. And you can selfishly use it for you, for your own security, for your own prosperity, for your own satisfaction, but that's not what God intended it for. He intended it to be a place he could display his glory. That's why when you come to the last verse of chapter 5, it says, verse 32, second last verse, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Our homes are to be a demonstration of the world of Christ's love for his church. And you know what? That'll stand out in this culture, won't it? This culture's dark. You know, Wyoming, we know about jackalopes. What we know about jackalopes is they're not real. They're rabbits that somebody took young deer horns and pasted on their head. I hope I'm not blowing your mind like telling you there's no Easter bunny, (gasps) no Santa Claus. And our... Governor, if he so choose, chose, could legislate that a jackalope is real. And anybody that says so, does not, is going to get a ticket. You can do that if you want. It doesn't make a jackalope real. God intended for marriages and homes to be a reflection of his glory. And he says, here's how it becomes a, re- a, a reflection of his glory. It speaks to those under authority first. First, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Why, women are not less than men. They're not second-class citizens. They're equal. But in their roles, just like on a football team, you've got a quarterback. Quarterback gets a, a word from the coach normally, and then he calls the play. The linemen don't call the play. The running backs don't say, hey, man, give me the ball. Give me the ball again. They might say that if they have a good quarterback, say, hey, you be quiet and listen to what I'm going to say or you're not going to hear the play. And we're going to be like the fellow that jumped on his horse and rode off in all directions. We have one goal this time. This is the play. And so he says, listen, those in authority have to be able to submit to leadership. So he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, not anybody else's husband, to your own husbands. As to the Lord, you submit to him like he's Jesus. 
I know, he's not Jesus. See, that's why we just went over the past before. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not a command to anointing. The parallel passage to Ephesians 5, 18, 19 there is Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart. If something is causing you not to be peaceful, girls, then that's sin. You say, hold it. It's a circumstance. No, no, no. You choose in the circumstance if you're going to live by God's peace or you're going to let the circumstances drive your life. You choose. You're a believer now. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can choose to be obedient to the Word of God. Then it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, it it has emphasis in everything in your home. It emphasizes everything in your life. You've allowed the Word of God to move into your life and decorate So it says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's a command. You fill yourself up with the Word of God. So when your personality runs into your husband's personality, you can submit to the Lord. What you're doing is you're trusting that the Holy Spirit has a bigger stick than you do. Yeah. He knows how to get to your husband if you will just get out of the way. Now, the parallel passage is in Colossians chapter 3, and it says this. In the same way, you wives, he's talking about us being submissive to the Lord, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. Let me just ask a question. Is anybody married to a man, girls, that has ever been disobedient to the word? We like to look at that passage and say, oh, hey, nobody raised their hand. We say, oh, that's for unsaved people that are married to unsaved. No, it says if anybody is married to somebody who is disobedient to the word, and guess what? There are times in our lives as believers were disobedient to the word. How are you supposed to operate then? I'll tell you how the natural thing for guys and girls to do is get the word out like a hammer. The Bible says he is the, the word is the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, and I'm here to be the hammer. No, it says what? If any of you have a husband who are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Wow. Hmm. What does that mean? God says, if you're walking in the spirit, girls, and your husband disobeys, he's going the wrong, you know he's going the wrong way, Right? then you could submit to him like he's Jesus and inspire him by your actions. You know what that is? It's called spiritual leadership. That's part of leadership. Now, we all like to be the boss. That's what happened when the first couple fell into sin. Her desire was under her husband. He wanted, she wanted to rule over him, and he knew he was bigger than her, so he could rule over him. They both wanted to be the boss. God's not taught calling any of us, either of us, to be the boss. He's calling us to follow him. That's why it says each one of you submit to the other. And the wives say, oh, good, he's got to submit to me. No, no, no. Submitting to one another in our roles as we follow Christ. Listen, this is an impossible thing. 
Even as a believer, you cannot obey this scripture without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, without the word of God to strengthen you and to give you the hope that, you know what, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm just going to do what God's word says, period, without a word. doesn't mean if your husband asks you for some wisdom, you can't give him some. But the tough thing is waiting for him to ask, isn't it? Oh, I just got so much to say. But you know what's supernatural? The most powerful thing you can do for your husband is pray for him. And second, lead a quiet and righteous life that will convict him to the very core of his being. We think if somebody's hurting, I just got to find the right words to say. We think when somebody's doing the wrong thing, well, I've got, I've got it. My words today are going to be apples of gold and pictures of silver. The only way that happens is when the Holy Spirit is energizing your words. That's the only way. And the Holy Spirit doesn't go against his word. So it says here, unless he's asking, you're what? Quiet. So, well, that probably used to work. No, no, I want to tell you something. This is never palatable to any heart outside of God in any culture in any time. No. Were there times when people were more, the families were stronger and there was order? Probably. But unless a person's heart belongs to God, this is not a place of joy. But the person who's filled with the Spirit of God, submission to spiritual leadership is a joy. It's a joy. And here's the great thing, ladies. If he messes up, you're not in trouble. He's like, if he does that, we'll all be in the poorhouse. Then go to the poorhouse together in love. Really. It goes on to say, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands in everything. That's how you can become a team. That's why before you get married, you have to have some biblical counseling, and so you choose wisely. The home is the most important institution that you'll be a part of. It's the first institution God established before the tabernacle, before, before a church was the home. When we see a team that operates good, Football team, basketball team, baseball team. We say, wow, they have some good leadership. They have good coaching. Because there's teamwork. And they say, well, there's no I in team, right? No. It's for the team. If there's going to be order, then, fellas, don't pick somebody you think you're going to straighten out. Well, she's young. She's moldable. Good morning. She still has the flesh. She may be afraid for a while, but she'll get over it. And girls, don't pick somebody, oh, I'm in love. You know, love is blind, but the neighbors ain't. That's true. And that's why in the multitude of counselors, much wisdom, somebody says, well, asked me just recently, well, how do you know if you're marrying a girl like that? That's going to be trouble. 
Ask your friends. If you have Christian friends that love you and care about you, you'll tell the truth. They'll tell you the truth. And then don't run to your girlfriend and say, none of those guys like you. No, this is your decision. Your decision. And if you're about to be married, don't go ask your pastor, what do you think? Because this pastor will tell you, and then you'll be mad at me, and she'll be mad at me, and it won't be fun at the wedding ceremony. But don't wait till then to ask. Ask your parents. What do your parents think about this? Even if your parents are not Christians, they can tell, and you can't. That's why we don't hunt deer during the rut, because bucks are really stupid. And hormones are a dangerous drug at any age. So we go to the Word of God and say, is this a woman or is this a man that puts God's Word first? And even though they're not perfect, because they're not perfect, you're not going to marry the Proverbs 21 unless you're, uh, Proverbs 31 woman unless you're marrying an older woman. So if you're young, you're probably not going to marry an older woman, right? You're going to marry a young woman. So she's not there yet, but that's her desire. That's her focus, to please the Lord. She has this one thing in her mind, like all believers, to be pleasing unto God. Tough one. He goes on to say in 1 Peter, you'll win your husbands without a word as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment not, must not be of merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Listen to this. This, this will get you. I'm telling you. You sang, I surrender all. Okay, you sang it. So here, listen. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. <laughs> now, pastor... That's going a little far. That's what it says. So you expect Chris to start calling you Lord? No. In this culture, it's called Sir. And you know what happens to me? Every once in a while, she does that to me. She throws that in there. And I'll say something. I say, yes, sir. Or she, not yes, sir, but she's like, I don't know. She throws sir in there, and that makes me go, oh. About what? About my responsibilities. To be the kind of leader that deserves respect and honor. It doesn't make me feel like, gee, you better call me sir. I don't feel that way. Mm -mm. You say, but if I do that, he's going to take advantage of me. God has got your back. You trust God this much that you're going to give him that. And it's an attitude. It's not the words. It's the attitude. Because you can say, whatever, sir, right? And it doesn't mean, it means something totally different. So it's an attitude of, you know what? God's placed him in my life to be my protection, my provider, and my inspiration. Whew. What about that meek and quiet spirit thing just before? I wanted to get to the hard stuff first. This is a second. It says, let what we adorn ourselves with is the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. We live 
in the culture of I am woman, I can roar. As I kick you out the door, right? It's the same for guys. We think it's always about the right answer. If I got the right answer, here it comes, pow. That gentle and quiet spirit. The Bible says that that gentle answer, it can break the bone. It can break the bone. What we're doing is submitting to God and his protection and his provision. You know, some of my greatest inspiration when I, th- when I think, uh, besides my own wife, of women in our church, is girls that are married to guys. Maybe they came to the Lord after they got married, but they're married to guys that are not Christians. And I never hear them complain about their husband. And the goal in life is to take care of their husband. Until the Holy Spirit opens his heart, he's not going to see it. But you know what? Everybody around here that knows him, it just blesses our hearts. Because we know that's a challenge. But here they are honoring the Lord in spite of the fact they don't have a godly leader. Or maybe their husband's a Christian, but he's just being disobedient right now. Because we don't know hearts. God does. But what they're saying is, I trust God, a faithful creator, for the keeping of my soul. For my provision, my protection, I'm going to trust God for that. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do so that I can be a light and encouragement. Then it goes to the guys. Well, the guys get off easy. Oh, yeah, they get off easy, right. He says, husbands, love your wives just as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you know what, guys? Your first responsibility isn't driving a nice car for you and having nice clothes for you. It's making sure that she's taken care of. Because Jesus put you first on the cross. He demonstrated his love for you. We say this over and over. A lot of people are waiting for Jesus to do something else before they come to him. He did it all. He finished the work for your salvation of the cross. All is left for you to decide to follow him. He laid his life down, and we're called to be that kind of protection for our spouses, for our wives. Husbands, you love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. You know what that's talking about? The responsibility to be a discipler to your wife, to be a spiritual leader, not just a physical protection, physical provider, but a spiritual leader that inspires, first of all, by your own path, by your own behavior, by your own example. But you look at 1 Peter, and he says, You husbands, verse 7, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As someone, with someone who is weaker since she's a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will be not hindered. You know, all mixed in this, not just be careful you don't offend her. But you need to be the spiritual leader. Nobody knows her like you do, not even her parents. You've been married for a while. Nobody knows her like you. 
And there are, the, the church is filled with weak men that go to the gym and they lift and they're strong and they know how to make a living, but they would not dare try to disciple their wife or spend time praying with her. Oh, that's just too scary. He didn't say live with your wives in an understanding way so you know what buttons not to push. You know, we all know those. I found a long time ago, Chrissy doesn't like it when she walks in front of the car and I honk the horn. I just think that's kind of fun, but she doesn't think that's fun. One time she told me she hated me. She didn't mean it, though. I honked the horn. She was going in. I thought, this would be funny. Honk. Real early in my marriage. I don't do it anymore. Man, she got back in the car, and she let me know she did not like that at all. So it's not saying just what buttons you don't push. I do it to Hannah now. Because I want to prepare her for marriage. But you understand your wife and you know where she's got fears and where her weaknesses are. Your responsibility to gently lead her in the word of God, just like God does with you. Does God give up on you? Oh, we're a stubborn flock, aren't we? We are stubborn. And we say, Lord, but Lord, I won't have any fun. I just have that little sin over here. I keep in the cupboard. Nobody else knows about it. Let me just have this right here so I can have, you know, my thing out of life. And the Lord always gently just goes over there and says, what about this? We sing, I surrender all but that. Boy, God, he's so patient and so loving. And he brings tests to reveal things like that. So we can say, Lord, yeah, you're right. That's a weakness. Let me, let me, I confess that is sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his job. But guys, it's your responsibility to be the leader and strengthen your wife. And you say, but she's been saved longer than me. She's a much better Christian. Doesn't matter. God said he will equip you. You need to begin. You know where she's weak. But maybe you're afraid to find out she's not really a believer. Oh, you'd rather go to have her go to hell in ignorance then. Is that what? Hmm. Is it real? I think my next series is going to be really shortly. There's a, a series that uh, John MacArthur put out, just a booklet, and John Bragg sent it to me. Is it real? It's based upon the Holy Affections uh, booklet that Jonathan Edwards did when they had the great awakening back in his day. And, the, and, and people were with all kinds of uh, uh, emotion, but then pretty soon there was a great falling away. And so he went back and he said, these are the spiritual affections that are true in every true believer of Jesus Christ. A lot of people said a prayer, and they have no desire to please God. You read them this past, they go, dang, doing that. I'm not doing that. People that have grown up, I've heard them say it. Hey, you think I'm not a submission thing. You've got another thing coming, buddy. But you're married to her now, so what are you going to do about it? First thing is you pray. God, only you can make me the encouragement that she needs to have. You know what her heart needs. I don't even know. But I want to be that encouragement. It's got to start with you, with your heart. See, because this information wasn't given so we could just criticize the other side. You know, you don't submit right. Because then she could say, yeah, well, you don't lead right. It's so that each one can examine our own hearts and say, Lord, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer.
So husbands, when you realize that you're the guy that God put in her life so that she could be all that Jesus wants her to be, that's a huge and heavy responsibility. That's right. You know what you're going to need? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Can you do it? No, you can't do it. But God's called you to be the example. He's called you to love her as much as Jesus Christ loved the church. Impossible. Impossible without the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So that our homes will reflect the glory of God, will be a display of God's love to a lost world. You see, they raised kids in Corinth too. In Ephesus, where it was a pagan city, God's giving this information where the culture is totally opposed to what God intended marriages and homes to be, totally opposed. He said, this is how you can let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your home become a place of the love of Jesus Christ. Where other people can come and say, oh, that, that's how you treat your wife, that, that's how, I remember years ago when we began to have this great harvest of, of first young men coming to Christ. And one of the first things they wanted to do, they wanted to get in my home. Now I was this young guy, 29, 30, 32. They want to come in and they want to see. They've been in the world. They knew what loving a woman was in the world. And they said, that's wrong. I know that's wrong. They're convicted of that. They're born again now. How? And they want to get inside. They want to be in your home up close and personal. How do you Raise your kids. How do you treat your kids? How do you treat your wife? How does your wife treat your husband? God wants our homes to be centers of ministry out there in the world. Then he goes on, he talks to children, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it's just like government. If you're a child, we've seen a lot of young people come know the Lord because we're here where the University of Wyoming is. And the first response that children have when they come to know Jesus Christ is to go straighten their parents out. Why? Because they love their parents and they want to see them get saved. So they think the first thing you do is go home and tell them, guess what? Same instruction to you as the wives have that are married to somebody that doesn't obey the word. Do it without words. Show them by your meek and submissive spirit that you're a different person now. You're not talking back. But there's that phrase in the Lord. So if they want you to do something that you can't do and honor the Lord, then you are willing to quietly and submissively suffer the consequences. Just like when the government's going to tell us to do something that we're not supposed to do. They say, you can't worship God anymore. Okay. We're going to disobey that rule, right? But we're not going to cry about it and say, oh, it's so unfair. That's so immature. Because we ought to be ready to suffer and willing to suffer when our disobedience is because our obedience to God is a higher calling. So it says to children, you obey your parents in the Lord. Then it steps up a little higher and it says, honor your mother, your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, 
so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So even if you have unsaved parents, they don't obey the Lord. You're called to honor them. He said, I'm not really sure what that means because I'm married and we have our own home now. The Bible says in James, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he gives to all men liberally and he won't chew you out. He upbraideth not. So you will know, how can I honor my parents so they can see the love of Christ in me? That's what we're called to. Then it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Anger is something that guys just have to deal with. Now, maybe girls do too. I'm sure girls have to deal with that sometimes. But we have to control our emotions when it comes to our children. That means you don't discipline. It doesn't mean you do not discipline. Yes, you have to bring discipline. But our call is to discipline like the Father disciplines us. The Bible says he scourges every son he receives. So sometimes our discipline from the Lord is, I mean, we get the point, right? And every child is different. But if you're telling them, hey, listen, son, don't do as I do, do as I say, you're going to provoke them to anger. If you're giving them a standard that you expect them to meet, but you don't meet it, and you're not inspiring them by a godly walk, you can expect frustration from your children. Because you know what? They live in your house, and they know what's true, and they know what's really honored. You can tell them. I've had tell, people tell me, you know, well, I tell my kids. This is the important things, and they, they list them out. But they're looking at your life. And they're going to honor what you honor in spite of what you tell them is important. Whatever, whatever, you can tell them whatever you want are priorities. They see the priorities by the way you live them out. Fathers, don't be a stumbling block to your children by making the world's, world's values your values and then coming to church. And when the pastor says something different, so, well, you know, he's the pastor. He has to say that stuff, you know. You're going to cause them to trip. They're going to fall. And they're going to look right back at you because you were the leader. You were the leader. Then it says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And look at this next verse. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You know, we're not slaves, but we're servants, right? When you serve an employee, you're a servant. And there's a lot of employers, most employers are not believers. And even some of the believers, their God is money. And so they cut every corner they can. And you know by working for them that that's what it is. The Bible says, realize something. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and everything that lives and breathes on it. So when you're working for a boss that maybe is ornery, selfish, greedy, just thank the Lord you have that paycheck. You don't have to keep working for that person. But maybe you're in a position, well, this is my best opportunity right now. So you do your work not to please the boss. You go one step past him. Just like women, you submit as unto Christ. Men, 
You love your wives not just for what you get out of your wife as unto Christ. Children, you obey your parents in the Lord. And as servants, we serve and we take care of whatever our job is, taking care of whether it's cattle or cars or whatever your business is that you do serving that person. You do it not for them. You do it for the Lord. I remember my buddy Wade told me a long time ago, somebody came in and he takes these things to heart. It's black and white to him. And somebody said, well, you serving this guy and he's kind of a jerk. You know, that's our word for people we don't like. He's kind of a jerk. He says, hey, this is God's stuff. I'm not doing it for him. See, there's a great freedom in that. I'm serving the Lord. This all is his stuff. This guy thinks he owns it. But how are you going to win somebody? The Bible says you do it with a heart not to please men so they can get you ahead. You know, grease the right palms, grease the wheels, keep things moving so I can get ahead. You got to be nice. No, no. You do your work as under the Lord. Excellence in everything. Then he says, with goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this who will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free, say, that guy's never going to give me a raise. He's not in charge of the money. God knows you may have that, that lost uncle that never cared about anybody, but he's going to leave you a pile of money. I don't know. God can grow money on trees. That's ridiculous. God promised. He cares about the sparrows. He cares about you. All you have to do, be responsible for is to follow him a step at a time. Just be found obedient. He's going to take care of you. If you think men are going to take care of you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Well, I better, I, I, I'm going to have to skip worship this week because my boss, well, he's not making me, but I kind of, you know, I need to, you know, I better neglect my family so I can get him because I got to take care of my family. Tell one of our seminary students, you know, I, I, uh, in Bible college, it always kind of confused me that there was guys going to Bible college that would skip worship because they had to prepare for ministry. It didn't make any sense to me. But what they were saying is, you, you, have to, uh, you have to do what you're supposed to do, and God will make up the rest. That is not in the Bible. Jesus said, follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. And it says, and masters, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that, what, their master and yours is in heaven. And you know what he's doing? He's seeing you. He's watching you. He sees the way you treat your employees, the way you cut corners, the way you cheat people. He sees it. Oh, God's up there. He doesn't know. That's what the wicked man says. God doesn't care about these little details. Oh, no, he knows. He's God. He cares about all the little things. And then James says, you become that kind of a boss, Jesus is standing right at the door. My son Sammy used that illustration, how his boys will be going at it because they're boys. And all of a sudden they realize, one realizes first, that dad's standing at the door. And they realize at first, he gets real quiet and righteous right away. (laughs) 
And all of, all of a sudden there's peace because we realize. But you know what? When we live with the attitude that God is watching, that he is really watching, that he's in my life, it makes a difference how I treat people, how I pay people. I would think if you're a Christian, you want people to say about you, that's the best landlord I've ever had. I, that's the best boss I've ever had. That I, I would work for that guy in a heartbeat. He paid me more than I was worth. Well, if I do that, I'll have no money. Okay, so then you're the one that produces, huh? Or is it God? Who's the one that takes care of you? Who's the one that makes rich and makes another poor? It is God. And it comes back to what? Faith. Who am I trusting? Can I bless myself better than God can? Can I take care of myself? Can I look off of my rights, my desires, better than God can? No, you can't. He made you. The place of joy, the Bible says, is not what you think because his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that the joy that he has prepared for you, can't. you haven't even thought about it. It hasn't even entered your mind, the place of obedience. And then he finishes this chapter with you need to put on the whole armor of God. To be there, you need to be filled with the Spirit and you need to put on the armor. You need the best plate of faith that says, I'm going to trust God in this thing, no matter what. You need the helmet of salvation, understanding you need the gospel every single day. And no matter what somebody throws, what fears Satan throws at you, your soul is, is secure. It'll affect all of your thinking. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. You need the gospel every day. And you take your weapon, which is not the weapon of the flesh, but the word of God. And that's what you minister. You minister the word. You minister the word. You minister the word. It's not about your experience, about your great wisdom. What did God say? And then Paul said, and pray for boldness. Oh, we need boldness. That we might be found faithful in our time, in our place, even in times like these, letting our light shine. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I pray that the word of God would penetrate our heart. And Lord, where we see challenges that we're not, we're not where we're supposed to be, that we would just easily say, so Lord, I confess that that's sin. And you've promised that you will cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that you will give me the desires, that you will show me the path, you will show me the steps to take, that I might be the wife, the mother, the husband, the father, the child, the employer, the employer, the employee. That is a reflection of your glory, that our light might shine in such a way that people would glorify God because they know it doesn't come from us. Lord, these are impossible things, Lord. In, inspire us. Give us the enthusiasm to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that we might be found faithful. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.